Manitobaville, the podcast, is brought to you by Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. Today, it's 62 years, March 2nd and 3rd, Canadian Power Toboggan Championships in Beauzeger. We're talking to a 50-year veteran of the board and somebody who spent his entire life around the track. Tune in, crack the throttle, let's go. for a better way to expand your small business's marketing reach? Well, now you can take off by telling your story on Manitobaville, the podcast. Give your small business a boost and take off with a professionally produced podcast interview. Sharing your story has never been easier. Introduce yourself to future clients by sharing your Manitobaville podcast experience. You can speed up client acquisition, you can onboard clients faster, and you can save time and money. The takeoff package includes a 30 to 45 minute professionally produced podcast interview, three custom host read commercials provided by you, a limited marketing campaign through Rodeo Road and Manitobaville social media, a promotional code so your clients can take advantage of special offers. And it costs only $499.99 plus GST. Terms and conditions apply. Supplies limited. Price subject to change. Visit manitobaville.ca to get started today. And email us at howdy at rodeoroadstudios.ca. And watch your small business take off. Reed Baker, I'm a director at CPTC. I'm Andy Baker, I'm also a director at CPTC and our roles are pretty much do whatever has to get done. Any relation? He's my son. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, my dad was president actually uh, years ago too, so it's kind of like the family's always been involved. I'm third in the generation. So yeah. So you power toboggan in the family? Yep. That's the yeah, it's always been that way. And when the Polaris factory was in Beaujolais, my dad started working at there at the plant in winter, okay. and then decided, hey, they're going to have this race. I want to get involved or have a race team, and he got involved with snowmobile racing through the Polaris factory, and okay, it just went from there. Yeah, because you showed us around today, and uh, it's a big oval. It's not as big as the Cinnaboy Downs, but people can think of it in those terms. There's a grandstand. There's like a clubhouse or a uh, a sponsor uh, kind of house. There's other sponsor indoor. People can park all around it. You can sit around it. You can stand around it. You get what five, ten thousand people sometimes when the weather's right. Yeah. But how? And this is in Beauzeur. It's just on the southeast corner. Easy to get to. Uh, not that far from the city. You have a couple events a year. Big events of power toboggan. But how did it come to this? How did it? How many years now has it been? This is. This will be the 62nd year, 62nd longest snowmobile, year. longest running snowmobile race in the world. So how did it all start? It started with the Lions Club years ago. 
actually the very first race they had was held at the schoolyard and it wasn't called the Canadian Power Toboggan Championships. It wasn't until the next year when the Lions Club was looking for an event that they could call the premier event at their winter farewell. That was the, the uh, end of winter party they had. And one of the Lions Club members knew somebody from, it was Manitoba tourism maybe, or he worked for the Manitoba government and was into, you know, promoting or doing unusual things. So we <laughs> asked him to come up with an event. Could you come up with an event for us? Well, what kind of unusual, like we got to unpack that just briefly. Well, what, just what, what would you consider an unusual event? Well, at that time, the power toboggan races were an unusual event. The was there other kind of weird things you would do out here? Not days? out here, but this guy would promote stuff for different communities. Okay. So he so, so he was like into the, you'd have the wacky thing at a town to bring people to their yeah, fair. Yeah, so he came out with an envelope to the Lions Club meeting and he said, oh, this is the idea, but you got to give me a five, I want 500 bucks for the idea. And nobody in at that time was nah we're not given 500 bucks for we don't know what it is why would we pay for something we don't know what it is and eventually you won't, you won't pay after that's why yeah eventually <laughs> one of the lines club members said listen i'll i'll put up the money you know like okay. let's Personally. just see what yeah let's see what's in this check so is that athy yeah it was uh, he became he was mayor of the of the town after that but uh they opened up the envelope and it was the Canadian Power Toboggan Championships was the idea. That's going to be the premier event at your Winter Farewell Festival. And that's how it started. They registered the name and led to this, everything we've got here now. Wow. Pretty, an pretty in incredible, envelope. yeah, that somebody... All this came out of that little envelope. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that somebody had the foresight to say, I'll pay for it myself, and <laughs> we ended up with this event. <laughs> did, he, did he have a backroom deal? I'll, I'll give him the 500 bucks, we'll see, that, but you got to make me mayor. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't come become mayor until years later, so really... <laughs> well, yeah, they said, yeah. well, we'll see if this works first. Yeah, yeah. We'll run it for a number of years. And yes. it grew pretty quick, so the first national like the Canadian Power Toboggan Championships was in 63. 63, yeah. And uh, by the early 70s, uh, crowds were over 20,000. I think it was over 25,000, two years in a row. Yeah, and well, eventually the Lions Club, the event got too big and they realized that we can't handle this anymore. So they, they had a community meeting and formed the Canadian Power Toboggan Championships, Inc. Mm -hmm. and that's the uh, same organization that now runs the, the yeah. races today. So this, this term Canadian Power Toboggan Championships, was it, th is this the first place it existed then? Is that what was in that envelope? Like yeah. when he presented that, was that a novel idea? For to have a national championship snowmobile race. That's, so that there, was so the, there probably was snowmobile races. So he's not coming to it saying, let's do yeah. this. I think, uh, but, but he thought it can consolidate here in a in a major event for snowmobile racers. I then. don't believe there was any snowmobile races that had you know dedicated teams that traveled. It was more of just you pulled out your snowmobile because everyone mm -hmm. had one back then, and you got together and you just raced it, right? And so the CPTC became like the first destination snowmobile race, and uh, a lot of towns um, started to have their own races. And obviously the big teams started to travel between How, them. What towns were they then? 
Uh, well, you would know there was tons in Manitoba. Yeah, we was every every little community. Anola had a race. Yeah. Uh, Whitemouth had a race. Everybody, whatever. You didn't you didn't have to go far. You could so race you'd anywhere. go to all those races and get points and no nope, no. Nope. There was no circuits. You just went there. It didn't take the sport had to develop a little bit. So each one's just like an open. So yeah. anybody could go. And you'd go there. You never knew what the class was, what the rules were going to be. Yeah. It was just a crapshoot as to you took whatever you had and the good old days and they raced it. Yeah, the good old days where they organized it up. Yeah. There. I mean, it started <laughs> the they built one snowmobile. The second they built the second one. Those guys had a race. A race. That's yeah. just the way it was. And, yeah. Well, and probably fur trappers had races. Yeah. Oh, you got snowshoes? Come on, get outside. <laughs> yes. So you can get to the outhouse faster. Yep. Yeah. So it's just human nature, I guess. Right? Yes. And, and then, so did it, was there a snowmobile? I guess there would have been like in Quebec or Ontario and yep. Alberta, Saskatchewan, Wisconsin, Miami. Minnesota. So, like, so it was, a, it was a sport that this guy thought, hey, everybody's doing it. So why don't you just make the event? like the event. So th he wanted this to be a pinnacle yeah. event. For and he was actually, he, he was looking into the future a long ways because there wasn't, everybody was doing it. They they hadn't even had races in Enola or what, you know, you didn't get them there yet. Okay. It was, and so this they caused, kind of sprung up after. So this yeah. caused that then? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So and then, yeah. then of course, there was premier races um, in the early 70s. I, I remember seeing a Skidoo ad that said, you know, Feel what the pros feel like when they race at the Valcor, Beaujolais, Eagle River. You know, you mm -hmm. get Those mentioned. Those are the big, the big tracks. Yeah, okay. and then you know rules started at our races. We had one of the first official kind of rules books. Okay. For snowmobile racing. So like how big your engine is. Yeah, CCs whatever. in each class. You know what you couldn't couldn't do mm -hmm. to modify it. And, yeah. And then it became big enough that. Uh, you know, local associations, and when I mean local, like Manitoba had Manitoba Snowmobile Racing Association. Okay. And they went around and ran the races at the various race tracks in Manitoba, and those formed all over the continent. Wow. And then rules became, then finally somebody had the foresight to say, we can't have 20 different organizations with different rules. We're going to form international snowmobile racing and these umbrella will become the umbrella organization for all the groups so that we could get the rules you know mm. when you went to Bolger it was the same as Eagle River or Valcourt. And so is that when maybe point collecting would start at different races? And yeah, well, yeah that's when it really started. Snow Pro was that the first point? Yeah Snow Pro was the first really factory uh, where, where the factory teams were mm. involved and followed a circuit that they went to a certain okay. set of races. So everybody's probably wondering, because I am, this guy that came up with the envelope, is, do you know his name or? Well, I have to I, look it up, I'm sure we can figure it out. Did, he, did yeah. he stick around or did he just disappear back into the mist after he gave you the magic bean? Yes, no, he, he wasn't expected to stick around. He just came up with the idea and had all the different events that were gonna be associated with it. He did a lot of work. Because a, a lot of societies have this origin story of the yeah no this is this is true the water tells yeah. you how to do it's, something that goes he back. he just didn't do it he yeah. he actually he researched the best weekend in winter for the best weather and at that time it was the end of february yeah. so the event used to be at the end of february just when everybody's hoping for spring boom mm -hmm. cold, yeah super cold winter farewell and yeah, yeah. 
Like and perfect. so they uh, then we we've gradually moved the event to where it worked the best for the uh, for mm -hmm. the circuit. Okay. At, you know where when you were going across North America, and now we're just the first full weekend of March. We don't change that event. It's the same, or the date is the mm -hmm. same every year now. Because Bossier is so cold compared to you know the wisconsin minnesota quebec areas where the other tracks are mm -hmm. we're always the first race of the season so the second weekend of december and we're the last race of the season first week of march but okay. uh, just because we can make ice way before and way later than anyone else and they get to laugh at everybody at the end of the year oh you didn't do too good eh? <laughs> uh -huh. yeah, there's a lot of canceled races this but, year yeah. unfortunately but yeah. So, is there uh, any big names that have that anybody recognized that have raced skidoos? Or yeah, sorry, well, sorry, sorry, power toboggans. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, I know you've got to be older, of course, to recognize Gilles Villeneuve, but he was, you know, went on to the pinnacle of Formula One car racing, mm -hmm. raced for Ferrari, mm -hmm. and uh, that's probably the most famous one we've had out here. But we've had uh, others, others not snowmobile races, but we had Al Unser Jr. out here the year he won the, the uh, Indy 500. Okay. And here's going back years. Scott Goodyear was a Canadian that was racing then, and that was the closest ever finish in, in uh, the Indy 500. Yeah. Like he, he beat Scott Goodyear, and only because Scott Goodyear went to make his pass maybe a second too late. Yeah. But he only beat him by like inches by half a brick mm -hmm. yeah kind of thing yeah and so skidoo was into uh unser was into snowmobiling and skidoo was using him as a as a okay, uh, spokesperson, spokesperson yeah. yeah so they had him come out here and we staged a race on the on the track and he got on somebody's twin track sled and they put a little uh, a lipstick camera on it <laughs> and he had to wear a big battery backpack that was in the days when they just were coming out with those yeah for what Battery for, backpack, like for, for filming, so that oh, camera, camera. Right, right. Right. Yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably so, a big backpack just for the the recorder too. Yeah, yeah. so we've got yeah. we've got all these. Uh, we've put a bunch of sleds on the racetrack, and yeah. and they're staging a race coming into the corner. And Paul Page, the voice of the Indy Five Hundred, is doing the voiceover announcing, and he cut. You could only really crash a twin tracker if you try turning right. Okay. Like you could never correct because it engaged the inside track and then it instantly went upside down. That's because they're made for left-hand turns, right? Yeah. yeah. And he made the fatal mistake of, <laughs> I guess he felt he was starting to wash out, so he went to correct and he put it upside down and going into the corner. And my goodness, he's into bales. His leg is sucked into the suspension. Oh, Not wow. bad, but yeah. we couldn't, we had to take a bolt out to get it out. And I'm just of thinking, like, no. <laughs> let's hope we didn't, like, hurt Al Unser Jr. at a racetrack. That's the last thing you want to be remembered for. But it turned out we, there was nothing wrong with him. And we got it on camera and sure and, it, and it was wrong. <laughs> it was shown on Wide World of Sports, and they did such a good job of putting it together about... They ask Al, yeah. so what happened out there? I think somebody got into the back of me, and then they yeah. show a replay. There's nobody even close <laughs> to him. And, <laughs> and they made a really great uh, yeah. uh, little portion to put on TV. That's wild. And then it happened to air, I don't know if you'll remember this, but there was a steeplechase race in, in England, okay. and that was the one where the horses started going down the track, and they were, going, they were trying to stop them. 
for some reason, I can't remember why, but somebody went out on the track with a flag and they turned around, some of the horses turned around, oh, and they were running into each other. It was just a disaster. Like an old English battle? Yeah, so that, yeah. that segment became wildly popular, so we were, we got, mm. you know, thrown in with it, which was really good advertising for us. Any other famous ones? Well, I mean, um, Gilles Villeneuve obviously going to Formula One. He won the championship here, I think, in 75, and three years later he was racing for a Ferrari. And uh, Gilles' brother, Jacques Villeneuve, not the, not the world champion F1 driver, but his brother, mm. um, he was out here and uh, he won it a few years. And then I guess Jacques Villeneuve, the Jacques Jr., I guess, the, the nephew, Gilles' son, he came out here when he was uh, just a kid. They would travel around with Jills in a in an old bus, I he, think. He came out. I I met him, but you can't really meet a one year old. That's how old he was when he came out here. <laughs> First year when Jill came out, him and his wife and his young son, one mechanic, old red school bus, and a trailer like a two place trailer with the sleds on it. That's what he came out with. Like yeah. he was really seat of the pants. Little did you know that one-year-old was going to turn into the yeah. 1997 Formula One world champion. Yeah, and Jacques, his uncle, or, and Jill's brother, was the first Canadian to win an IndyCar race. Like, okay. Yeah, at Elkhart Lakes, he mm. won that, and I can't remember the year, but that mm -hmm. was his kind of... He raced for Canadian Tire. I, yeah. That's going back a long ways, too. So other than that, do a lot of... Because we, we'd say like a kart racing is usually where F1 drivers start, the mm -hmm. smaller vehicles, and they work their way up. So do people work their way up from the skidoo? Like I guess you said Gilles Villeneuve started mm -hmm. sort of a skidoos and then worked his way up. Does that happen a lot where people break out into other... Well, Danica Patrick, uh, like the IndyCar racer, she uh, start, she was racing in Eagle River. She never made it to Beaujolais, but uh, yeah, she started out in ice ovals as well. Yeah, her dad, um, TJ Patrick, that's the, yeah. he raced uh, ice oval races. And uh, a lot of the um, racers will race like dirt ovals in the summertime. And uh, that's actually sometimes bigger for them than the snowmobile racing. It's not too late. She stopped dating Aaron Rodgers, so she's probably <laughs> get come back for the uh, <laughs> come back fulfill yeah. the destiny. Yeah, right? yeah. that's right. She yeah. should race. Win in Bozier. Yeah, win in Bozier. That that yeah. could be your slogan for all your <laughs> win in Bozier, yeah. having dreams, nightmares. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So okay. So do 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 racers? Do you find there's a longevity to the ones who stick with the sport? Like, do they? start young and keep racing is there a depends they kind of move well you know lots of the some of the kids start out at three years old on the junior oval and then around 10 to 13 they'll go to the junior classes on the large oval and some of them work their way up to the pro champ 440 class which is the top level um racing that for you know until they want to retire whatever usually it's a younger sport generally for the pro champ class well, usually, I don't know, I'd say the average is probably mid-20s, maybe late-20s. And then uh, I know some of them, after they're done in champ, will go over to a different class that isn't quite as intensive for, mm. you know, cost or uh, wrenching or that kind of thing. But we've got, uh, yeah, we've got some racers that are in the vintage classes that are, I don't, I don't know, probably early 70s racing. Really? Yeah. Yeah, one local guy, Norm Chur, I've got to mention him because he's been here for local as legend. long as I have. Yeah. Racing, but Race that's does. the difference, <laughs> yeah. 
he's still racing. And does quite well, actually, too. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. you'd build up some experience, wouldn't you? If you're good at it. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. But at his age, he, he if you saw him in a t-shirt, like he said, he's got to work out all the time because mm -hmm. he's too old to not work out. And right. He looks pretty damn good. Yeah, he's in good shape. Original production from Rodier Road Studios. This episode of Manitobaville, the podcast, is sponsored by Antiquarian Objects, the legend of Manitoba, and your friends at Rodier Road Studios, marketing mavens of the digital range. Podcasts, videos, TV, digital media, marketing, analytics, and more. Visit us today at rodierroad.ca. Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. So what's it like when I when most people think of a toboggan, they're thinking of a, a wooden curved instrument, the, this, this uh, flat and smooth that you sit on and go down the snow banks and when you add power to it, like, are yeah. they just envisioning like an Evinrude strapped to the back of that? Or I something? think that's what most people envision. Um, <laughs> back in the, in the fifties, uh, Mike Bosak, who lived just north of Beaujolais, uh, created, uh, I guess invented one of the first uh, single track, uh, single passenger snowmobiles that, uh, that resemble what you see today when you buy a snowmobile. Bombardier had made, um, you know, like a school bus on tracks and they had, they even had a snowmobile that was fan powered. But uh, Bosax was like one of the very first that had a, you know, a track driven machine. And so it was, he called it uh, the Bosak power toboggan because it really did just look like a wooden sleigh <laughs> with a motor and track on it and some skis. Yeah. So power tobogganing, kind of became the term for snowmobiling in, in the Beaujolais area. That's what everyone called it. And um, I guess they, that's right around when they started CPTC and that's the name they chose and it's stuck ever since for the last 62 years. Uh, unfortunately, nobody calls it power tobogganing anymore, but uh, so you get a lot of people that aren't from the area that uh, don't really know what they're referring to, but it is just a, a snowmobile essentially, that's all it is. So you have to pepper your ads with skidoo, snowmobiles, yeah, power yeah. toboggans. Yeah, just, snowmobile just to racing. trigger people into yeah. taglines. Yeah, <laughs> they go, oh, the, yeah, yeah, that's what that is, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then see. when they see the, like, people probably, you know, I guess a lot of people know what this is because you've had big crowds, mm -hmm. but people who don't know would, like, probably be really surprised at what's going on, like, yeah, like the uh, infrastructure. Like, social media has been a huge blessing for us because it is very affordable to get pictures and video out to a lot of people in the area. Um, so we still do have lots of people that come from Winnipeg that have never been and, and yeah, they they come back after, like once they've been once, they, they kind of fall in love with it. Yeah. We've got guys that come out, you know, from all over like um, Toronto, I'll get emails asking, what are the dates? Cause we need to book our flights. 
So uh, yeah, you get uh, you get people coming from all over the place. The racers come from all over North America. We'll have guys come out from Quebec, New York, uh, even like down south. We've got guys coming from BC, Alaska. Uh, yeah, so it's a it's a pretty big sport actually. Actually, before we really were you know on the on the internet or on social media, we used to get calls from the smaller border crossings like Piney. Mm -hmm. asking when our dates were so they could make sure they had extra staff because there was that really? many Americans coming across the border okay, to, yeah. to the community. And you don't want to slow people down. They now they can just Google it and they can see the dates on mm -hmm. there. They don't have to call anymore. But yeah. That's a pretty big feather in your cap when you're bringing that kind of, that amount of people across the border. Well, yeah, when they're noticing. Into the community. They want, yeah, when you're, when you're affecting the government then they want yeah. looking for smooth operations. Yeah, so. You got something going on. The circuit now that you're part of, where are the other communities? Um, so the first race would be in uh, Beaujolais, obviously, in December. And then in January, go, the next one is Ironwood, Michigan. Uh, from there, they go to Eagle River, Wisconsin, uh, then over to Wausau, Wisconsin. Uh, after Wausau, it goes out to Eganville, Ontario, which is just uh, east of Ottawa or west of Ottawa. Uh, then the next one is Valcourt, Quebec. That's coming up this weekend. Uh, then they're back to Wisconsin to Manawa and then back to Eagle River, Wisconsin, and then back to Beaujolais. Those are the big points races. There are a lot of separate organizations, like there's the Central Minnesota Pond Racing Association that's obviously very geographic uh, focused. Um, there's an Ontario organization. Uh, yeah, there's, there's there still are lots of. Yeah, um, there's. There's little like, smaller circuits all over the place, yeah. but uh, the big smaller ones. track kind of thing or just different. Um, no, of some of the tracks are quite big. Yeah. Um, there's they're, one in New Brunswick on. this year that they haven't had in 43 years in Woodstock, New Brunswick. So that's exciting to see coming back. Mm -hmm. um, but so uh, so so you can switch associations and the the race is kind of the same. Yeah, you, you know, uh, because of the International Snowmobile Racing Organization. Okay, Every, everybody belongs to it, so the rules are generally this very close okay the, the the point series is put on by the united states snowmobile association ussa and uh you know if they f see a track that's putting on a good show running a good show they'll invite them up to to have a race sanctioned by them and be part of the the circuit so um every year there's new tracks certain ones are dropping certain ones mm -hmm. are coming in but there is the the main the big tracks i would say are Beaujolais, valcourt Eagle River and Wausau, those are the, the big ones, the, the kind of the anchors. And facility-wise, um, like are a lot of the other tracks like this track? The no. the big ones the big ones are purpose built ice ovals like you know Wausau like is Wausau yeah. Eagle River Bossier Valcourt those are all ice oval race tracks first and foremost um, some of the other ones are car racing tracks that are you know they put bales and and flooded in the winter to make a snowmobile track. Um, there's horse racing tracks that they use, um, and there's just lake races even. So, well, so infrastructure-wise, can you just describe to somebody who hasn't been here what? Yeah, like so if, if they're scared about coming out because they don't know if they have to be outside all the time or what's going on. You know that the facility, this facility, CPTC purchased it in '73, I believe, and uh, you know, so we're a nonprofit organization. Um, you know, we, we've been upgrading it since 73. We've got an 1800 person grandstand. It's got heated concessions, washrooms underneath. Um, there's a bit of a museum in the eating area. It's really interesting. It's got articles going back to the beginning in the sixties. 
Uh, we have an uh, indoor uh, beer garden building, uh, heated obviously. Uh, we have many indoor private uh, hot seat booths uh, that get rented out. Uh, and then we also have, uh, we call it trackside parking, where people can watch from inside their vehicle and tune into the FM station to listen to the announcer. It's a nice option to have uh, when it is, when you do get the cold weekends, uh, they, they do happen obviously in Manitoba, so it gives, a, gives everyone an opportunity to watch from a, a warm vehicle. And uh, yeah, the, like the, the outside of the track, the fence that people stand along is, a, is one kilometer in length and it'll be packed too deep for an entire kilometer so it's uh it's pretty uh it's a pretty big event a lot of people come out for it and uh yeah it's a great facility for it we just put up lights last fall so now we have uh, evening races uh, obviously in manitoba the the days are short especially in december so you're always in a panic trying to get all the races in before the sun sets sometimes you get a crash and you know that slows the 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 whole showdown yeah. and then you're in a real panic to get the final in before the before the sun sets so that's kind of a real nice thing to have you know like the saturday nights now we'll do a social with live band afterwards uh, you know if you bought your ticket to watch the races you get in for free so it's uh it's quite the you know it's it's great for families um it's great for you know uh, just going out with your friends and having a good time uh, we kind of cover all the bases uh, uh, you're I can't. You're you're gonna have a hard time not having fun here. Yeah, and enjoying winter. Yeah, a lot of people cry. Yeah, it's gonna be winter, and it's like, come on, yeah. go outside, get well, some gear on. That's why we do the know. first, the the yeah. or the first and the last because uh, there's not a lot of people that want to be outside in January yeah, in Manitoba. It's too bad. Yeah. It's so changed. Like in the old days, people outside. Yeah, as kids, we get kicked outside all the time. It's maybe like, that's play. the maybe get that's some fresh the, air. Get some fresh air. Go that social media type of stuff might be a double-edged sword. It's easy to stay inside and stay entertained nowadays with live streaming and and everything yes. like that, but. Too bad. Yeah. Still not the same as being there. Yeah. It doesn't come close. No, no, mm -hmm. it wouldn't. Nothing does. Yeah. Any, like anything you can go out and experience live is always way better. We started live streaming the races probably about five or six years ago. And, uh, you know, at the start, it was do we offer it for free? Do we charge a pay per view? There was a lot of worry that mm -hmm. we were going to, if you know, if we offered it for free, people weren't going to show up. We were yeah. going to lose attendance because of that. Yeah. So we did the pay-per-view thing, and it was good. We covered costs and whatever. Um, then we figured we, we'd get some sponsorships, sell some ads, and, and, and cover the cost of the live stream that way. And when you start offering it for free, it blew up. The last race in December, we had over 25,000 unique viewers on it, which in terms of viewership is getting up there. Like the average Winnipeg yeah. Jets game has 100,000. So mm -hmm. like we're talking pretty legit numbers and uh so now after doing that for a few years we're getting people coming to the event talking to directors and volunteers saying i never knew this existed i saw it on uh, on the computer in december and i figured i had to come out in march to see it in person and oh, that's great the live stream is good quality but mm -hmm. it's not the same as being here and feeling the snow dust on your face and smelling the race fuel exhaust it's uh it's pretty impressive in person getting the noise the noise yeah yeah, you gotta. You want to have good hearing protection because uh, it could be quite loud when the sleds take off from the line. Yeah, we offer that here too. We have earplugs that the 
they give out in the concessions, right? They're sponsored, yeah, the beer sponsored earplugs. Right? Yeah, I think uh, Okabank Hearing Center is the, yeah. uh, the earplug sponsor. Every, there's a sponsor for everything, <laughs> yeah. isn't there? Yeah. That's you got it. You, when you're a nonprofit <laughs> and you, you got to make your dollars yeah. uh, last, sponsors definitely help. Yeah, and then so so even when people do watch live stream and then next time they show up in person, that live stream still has like twenty five thousand people watching. Yeah, well, so like there's there's new people all the time feeding into that. There's a lot, because of the nature of the circuit, you, wherever there's another track, you generally get a lot of audience in that geographic region. So, so like, like the Assiniboine Downs, go to the Downs, there's no race there, but there's a race somewhere else in the well, world. Well, like Wisconsin, we have a huge amount of people that watch from Wisconsin, Minnesota, obviously Manitoba. Um, Can I bet on it? Uh, you used to be able to, they used to have odds and betting, and I, I, I'm not sure what happened with that. What? I don't think it was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Well, everything's betting now, so I mean, <laughs> it's probably yeah. just a half step to get involved with that too. Right? Yeah. Liquor and lot. You got liquor? Yep. You yep. can have we a got, lottery then. We got yeah. uh, sponsors. We got <laughs> only only in the spectator area. I mean, yeah. you're not allowed. Yeah, not in trackside parking. Oh, you can't be like uh, going around the third turn with a beer in your hand. You can't be yeah. in trackside yeah. parking sitting in your yeah, truck. Yeah, you can't oh, be. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No <laughs> yeah. liquor. Yeah. And in yeah. the pits, it's not allowed. It's illegal. Right? But yeah. we do have. Obviously, you don't want anybody drinking and getting on a race sled. No, because it takes too long to set your beer down, go <laughs> put fuel in the tank, yeah. come back. It's like, come on, try to drink a beer. That's what we have the Sunday night party for afterwards. That's when the other yeah, yeah, the directors get to have, uh, you know, they and get the to talk to the racers. Get to, yeah, mm. They get to stick around and yeah. unwind also. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, great community event. Sounds it like is. It's phenomenal. I think uh, the people in Bozier are very proud to, to say that they have, well, the longest snowmobile, longest running snowmobile race in the world and that their town owns a racetrack. You can't go to really any other small town and say that, you know. Is your podcast working for you or are you working for your podcast? It's not easy finding the time to turn your ideas into great content. And right now, Streamer's got more podcasts than I believe I've ever seen. But if you're different and want to stack the deck in your favor, we can get your production on track and help you to find your audience. The good folks at Rodeo Road Studios will help you particularize, synthesize, and optimize your podcast broadcast. Get your show on the road by visiting rodeoroad.ca. Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. Because of then the success of snowmobile racing and the growth of it, is there other races in Manitoba? Like do other communities, uh, have they picked up on this to even just for local people to have a race? No, there used to be. I don't know of any that are run anymore. But th when we had the Manitoba Snowmobile Racing Association, obviously they would go out and hmm. look for communities that wanted to hold a race. But that all, just in a downturn, 
in in the economy mm. a lot of that went though just pulled it up and it's hard to get it back and probably more people living urbanly too like farms have uh, coalesced and and less people out on the land yeah because yeah. when I was a kid in the 70s there would be snowmobile parties it'd be a poker party mm -hmm. oh, so yeah. everybody would descend on somebody's farm everybody had a skidoo so they bring their skidoos or ride them over and then go and do the circuit and you know a lot of visiting a lot of drinking a lot of food a lot of you know just that winter camaraderie I guess yeah and I think um, so they would probably be the types of people back in the day who would oh there's a race over wherever let's go we can tune up the old uh, Evan Rude and maybe you could yeah. have some it fun. in a class. Yeah, and, and mostly just have fun probably. Like yeah. some, something else you can do with your skidoo. But if you don't have one then, or if you're just a, a city person who goes out here and there, you're, you're not using it enough really to to take part in like recreational mm -hmm. stuff like that. That's one thing too, like the equipment got a lot more specialized. So now you had less people racing them. Um, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, when there was over 100 snowmobile manufacturers, mm -hmm. I, probably a good chunk of those were in Manitoba, so they were supporting the sport. Now we're down to three snowmobile manufacturers. Yeah. Um, so, like my dad said, like a lot of that, that, that cycle of ups and downs with the industry, it's hard to get that back. And obviously you need great volunteers and stuff. It's a lot of work, obviously, because this facility needs to be maintained 12 months a year it's not just you know come here and dust it off and run mm -hmm. a race kind of thing so yeah it takes a lot of people yeah oh I was gonna ask because because you say it's not for profit and the city now takes care of the um, administration of it I guess because mm -hmm. um, you said that was it was its own not-for-profit and then at some point you yeah so we uh, CPTC purchased the facility and uh, and then it was 80 acres donated 20 acres i believe to the town for the recreation like the the hall the curling rink the baseball diamonds in town were all put there and then uh eventually i don't know i think it was in the 80s it was sold to the town of bozier and the rm of brokenhead for a dollar um, cptc still runs everything pays for the upkeep and that kind of thing but it allowed um us to not have to cover the property insurance as it fell underneath the towns and the RM's property co insurance coverage. And then also the property taxes were no longer an issue because the town and the RM owned it. I think so I misspoke. I called Bozizur a city. I'm, <laughs> from, I'm from the future. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, what is Bozizur? 3,500 people? 4,000 maybe? Yeah. 3,500. What's yeah. a city nowadays? Because they're think calling Winkler in places like 7, that. 7,500? 7,000? 7,000? 6,000? 10,000? Yeah, there. somewhere around there. It's it's when you get a Boston pizza. That's when you that's when you become city <laughs> yeah. size. Yeah, I guess eh? yeah, yeah. The, the, just by a franchise document, you yeah. can see. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have enough yeah. uh, population yeah. to support. We got enough for a Tim Hortons. So <laughs> Tim Hortons, yeah. Oh, they'll go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have a franchise right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Okay, and then and then because of that. How many employees work at CPTC? Yeah, there's zero employees, but probably there's about 50 directors on the board, and th that takes care of most of the work around here, except for events. That when we were probably around 150 volunteers to staff the event for the weekend, and and build the oval too. Like obviously, like you you look and there's uh, mm -hmm. 3,600 bales around the track that have to be, you know, set up by people and taken down, stacked and. And then the flooding will take, 
probably a good three weeks of, of flooding to build the oval for December. And then you got to do it again to, to rebuild it for March because the snowmobiles do chew up a lot of the ice. Um, so there, there's a lot of work. And then we're always trying to improve the facility. Like I said, we put up uh, lights last fall. That was all volunteer labor. That's the only way we could afford to do it. We couldn't yeah. pay someone to do it. So we got volunteer electricians and, you know, a lot of guys that had their own equipment. And we had one of the contractors from town. He offered to do all the concrete work for free. So we provided the labor and he provided his expertise and his equipment and uh, wow. they did all the concrete work for free. Then we had another fellow that offered to stand up all the poles for free. Um, it's just because Bossier is a great community and they care about it. That's the only reason why this kind of stuff can happen. Yeah. And also be beyond our own volunteers, there's organizations in town that will come and help at certain er in certain areas of running the race or taking care of the facility and we'll donate money to them because you have, you have concessions and stuff and too like there's people cooking food there's yep. people uh cleaning things like keeping it you know throughout the day when you have your events is it a two-day sorry is it a two-day event three-day event it's two paid days we have practice on friday and that just you know you're allowed to okay. come watch practice kind of thing um but uh yeah we've done three-day events in the past and it's a lot on the volunteers and it's a lot on the racers too obviously mm. the racers that are traveling the circuit they're every weekend they're gone so yeah, um, yeah we found that the two-day was kind of the sweet spot there for for having a, a good turnout of yeah. spectators racers volunteers so yeah it's a lot of a lot of upkeep and you guys you're farmers you're saying yeah yeah the obviously uh being a grain farmer gives you a little more flexibility come winter time to to mm -hmm. help with this kind of stuff uh, a lot of our directors are seasonal workers you know carpenters and that kind of thing where they have a busy season and a slow season obviously that helps a lot mm -hmm. um but uh yeah everyone puts a lot of hours in around here because um, they're dedicated they want to see it do good and the community is proud of you guys. I hope so. <laughs> I think they're proud of themselves. Yeah, so, yeah, because be. everybody's involved. Because in they are you guys. Yeah. 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 Like, the town and the RM they offer up their equipment, so uh, we get a x amount of hours per year for you know say graders for grooming the track on on the weekends, or you know the town will provide their sanding truck to make sure it's safe and not slippery and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. um, the the, nice. the the town and the RM definitely get behind it as well. Um, yeah, you need that kind of support for it to happen. So coming up, coming right up is your is your second event of this season, mm -hmm. March second and third, and it's gonna be it's it's gonna be cold enough to have ice. It's gonna be warm enough so people from the city can come out and yeah. not have to worry. And you're gonna have like ten deep around yeah. the oval of people, <laughs> and you're gonna have all the cars. You're gonna, it's like a big tailgating party, you say. It's yeah, there's bring their for trackside parking. Yeah. yeah, and they have a party, and they it's like so it's all day. Everybody, you know, you can bring your own situation, or like you say, there's concessions. And yeah, stuff. beer gardens, social it's afterwards. So on March second, racing starts at uh, one p.m. and then it's gonna finish underneath the lights. Uh, probably be done around six or seven. Uh, your first year under the lights, eh? Uh, yeah, first uh, the March race is the Canadian Championship. Our December race is the season opener. So okay. the the March one is is the big the big show, I guess. It's for the national title. Um, so it is a bigger race. Um, it'll be our first Canadian Championship under the permanent lights. We've done temporary lights before, and that's how we wanted 
came about making. Is that why you parked all the cars all around? So yeah, the headlights. <laughs> Actually, you don't want their lights yeah. on. But. Oh, you blind them. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, and then uh, on the Sunday, on March third, uh, racing starts at eleven. We should be wrapped up by around four or five that day. Uh, but it's going to be a big turnout of drivers because of the warm weather. There's been a few canceled races in the States. So okay. a lot of the Americans have the time and the budget to come up uh, for the Bossier event. So we'll be, uh, for March, we'll have easily over 100 racers uh, come up or come to the event, I should say. And uh, the top pro champ 440 class, we're expecting 25 to 30 drivers in that class. Um, any, which is, any big names? Uh, well, who, the big... Or who's competing for the championship this year? Uh, I guess the, it would be the... Uh, Gunnar Stern has won it five of the last seven years. He's got this track dialed in. He's the Tom Brady well, of he's, the yeah, it's, uh, it's his track kind of thing. Blaine Stevenson, another big name. He's uh, He was uh, last year's champion, actually. Um, Matt, uh, Matt Gady. He uh, has been really strong this season, so excited to see what he's going to be able to do. And then you do have the the locals. There's a lot of locals racing. I think we have seven or eight. Travis McDonald, he's won the December event before, so he's always a crowd favorite, and uh, he's always a, you know, a force to be reckoned with here. And this year we had in December a, a real local guy finish third in the race, Brett Gilbeck. Yeah, from Bossier. Yeah, and that was uh, nice to see that somebody, you know, mm -hmm local get that close to the Travis, Travis the is Lockport yeah. that's local yeah he's, <laughs> so, he's well he is local yeah. pretty much the walls from Greenbush are local yeah. they consider this their, their home, home track, track. Home track yeah. yeah yeah so well it's good to see yeah it's good to see because uh, a lot of times they'll build big stadiums and stuff and then they bring in external players or whatever and the stocked up and People yeah. say you want to go to the game. It's like I don't know any of them. <laughs> Why would I? will go down the rink. That's yeah, what, that's yeah. where everybody I know is. Yeah, you know. So it's good to see that that local. Yeah, and we do have you know one of the one of the neat things about coming to this race. You can go into the pits. You can buy a pit pass. Go into the pits, and and racers tend to be really friendly, unless of course they're in the heat of doing something on their sled. But most mm -hmm. of the time, you can get an autograph. Yeah, take a look at their sled. Sometimes they'll invite you into the trailer to look yeah. at the equipment. Nice. And so you you can you know you you see Gunnar Stern win it or you see Blaine Stevenson win it, but you can you can also go talk to those guys in the race pits. It's kind of you know that doesn't mm -hmm. happen very often. And that's because they're representing teams, right? So they're representing manufacturers, and that's the manufacturers right. putting them into these races because they want to show Exposure. the consumers or the yeah. retail people what they're what there's they're yeah that's right there a lot of the sponsors are mm -hmm. they're here because they're selling product like fxr is our title sponsor mm -hmm. most of the racers have fxr gear on it most of the spectators are buying that fxr gear be because it's obviously we have cold winters and yeah. that's the and that's part of the thing if you're personable with people it's a better yeah, friend they want brand. Uh, they want their sponsored riders yeah. to be uh, engaging with fans right so what's the best manufacturer out there right now who's like is there a manufacturer that's well the skidoos have been pretty dominant lately but like i said blaine stevenson won it last year on a polaris so you never know it uh the, the weather conditions obviously dictate the, the ice conditions and the style of riding. And um, so it, it is usually uh, very, very close for first place. So 
Yeah. It's been exciting the last few so years. So you can swing a race just by how you groomed the track then. So, yeah. <laughs> so, it's, you, so you, it's rigged, right? Yeah. It's a rigged sport, like the NFL. Yeah. If you look at our wall of champions, you can see lots of cats, lots of skidoos, lots of Polaris on there. Yeah. Cat. Pretty. Cat makes skidoos. Like oh, yeah. Art of cat. Art of cat. Right, right. Yeah. Right. It'd be interesting I to go back to the last cat. time a Yamaha won. That would be in the 90s, I would think. Yeah. They're not in snowmobiles anymore. Yeah, some of the big names from back then. Like, mm -hmm. I remember when Polaris came on, like, people would get a Polaris and they'd say, oh, my Polaris, I can go 100 miles an hour straight across the field. And, and I would say, well, why? Why do you want to do it? <laughs> well, no, I can. And yeah. it's like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then they invented scooter racing. <laughs> yeah. Well, these, these sleds are obviously yeah. highly customized, like the Pro Champ class. Those are hand-built chassis, but they do run just a, a regular stock snowmobile mm -hmm. engine from the factories. Uh, but they are obviously built to run on ice and do an oval. They uh, they do uh, like zero to 60 miles an hour in uh, two seconds or less. And when they enter the turns, they're doing 60 miles an hour through the turns. It's pulling two Gs on them. Like a lot of the guys will have... Um, uh, Headaches? <laughs> no, they got uh, data recorders or whatever, so they have all okay. these kind of stats on them. So they those guys it, are hanging on for dear life. They when give they're it to their masseuse later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, is, it, is it worth it? Like they make a lot of money racing? I don't think races? anyone makes money at it. Maybe the walls because they're also making parts for everyone else. But yeah, uh, but yeah nobody's... What's your prize money then this year? Uh, so last year, it'll de depend on how many racers and how much of a crowd we have. But last year, we gave away 60000 uh, Canadian for the winter. You didn't give it away. They had to earn they it. They had to earn it. Yeah, that's right. Two Gs at yeah. the time. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, in those sleds, they're, they're the guys, they're putting in like 30000 American, some of them. It's become a little bit more affordable with some of the rule changes. But, the, you know, the guys, there's not a lot of those chassis out there. So... They only build a couple a year, kind of thing. Yeah. So you gotta, the used ones have a pretty good resale value on them. Um, Plus, then they have to travel, right? They got gas, they got lodging, yeah. they got food. And, it um, adds up quick. Um, so okay, let's talk about the race then. So when you get here, you've spent thirty grand on your sled, you've put gas in the tank, you've got your lodging, your food, your kids are all fed, you're here, and you get in a race. What is that race? Like, is it just once around the loop and see who wins, or is it 10 times around it's the usually loop? usually about five laps per per sprint race. And then uh, the final, the, like the champ final, will be a 15-lap final. Yeah, we'll um, run rounds. So they'll be out on the track four or five times during the course of the day. Okay. And then, obviously, the final at the end of the day. But then we have other classes that will be doing kind of the same format and... Yeah, we'll run anywhere from 40 to 55 races a day. So and how far is it? You're saying how far on the inside of the track? Half a mile. Half a mile around? Yeah, in the groove they're running, and it's pretty much half a mile. So if you're going five times, that's like two and a half mile race. Yeah, yeah and it's over pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Keeps yeah. it exciting. Nobody really gets a big lead, so it's always good racing. Well, you can't, yeah, because yeah, you got to turn a corner every yeah. day. Like, uh, yeah, after. our track's pretty big, so you get to straighten out, actually. But there's some of the tracks they race on, yeah. they barely get out of the lean. Yeah. yeah, so they don't use the seat; they're just hanging off. It's the like side. a velodrome or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always yeah on exactly. The, always yeah. leaning so. over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's pretty exciting. So, yeah, it's really exciting. You're sitting in front of the grandstands. There, in front of twelve sleds lined up side by side. Um, and when the flagman lifts the flag, you know, those two-stroke engines scream so loud it 
makes your eardrums rattle to the point where you're trying to scratch the insides of your ears. Uh, and then you smell that race fuel and they take off and they pile into a corner, you know, going 10 wide. And it's a, it's a safe sport, but at the same time, accidents happen. And, you know, you're always happy to see when 10 go into the turn and 10 come out of the turn, but, uh, it'll take your breath away when you're watching it. Just, you know, everyone's hoping for the best, I guess. And then that happens, you know, for another five laps. So it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's a lot of excitement and, uh, yeah. I, I used to race snowmobiles years ago, so I know why you do it at why money's not a factor in it because the rush you get when you're sitting on the line and you crack the throttle open and you've got all this all these sleds coming into the corner with you you can't buy that kind of like that adrenaline rush is unbelievable and snowmobiles are a very unique machine right like they're two-stroke engines so they rev really high and they make a lot of power for how small they are and then you've got a you know a, a, a continuously variable belt transmission so just the sounds you hear from the the clutches at, you know as you're speeding up slowing down um, it's just a very unique you know like uh, experience with the the smell of the race gas and everything and you're getting as they go into the turn they're kicking up so much snow dust and that snow dust is hitting the spectators in the face uh, you know it, it just it's amazing to be there and to watch very addictive Hey folks, just a reminder, our email is howdy at rodeoroadstudios.ca or you can use the contact form at rodeoroad.ca. You can visit us on social media, just search for the Manitobaville moniker and we appreciate every like, share and comment that you care to make and visit our YouTube page, Rodeo Road Studios and when you watch that video, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you so much. Big thank you to Reed and Andy Baker, two of the over 50, approximately 50, 50 members of the board of directors of the Canadian Power Toboggan Championships who keep the race going year after decade after half century, after everything. This is a warm winter, it's gonna go this year too. You watch, you watch, these things happen. And now that we're putting the word out, you gotta go, you gotta see it. It's gonna be a big year. Everybody's coming. Everybody who's had their, their race cancels coming down. You gotta be there. March 2nd, 3rd, we'll be there. Maybe we'll talk to you, see where you're from, what you're doing, how you doing, okay. So we're looking forward to Bozager and we're looking forward to the next episode. Stay tuned. Manitobaville, the podcast is a production of Rodeo Road Studios Limited. Copyright 2024.